Sifter, the podcast. News, interviews, reviews, cinema, TV, streaming. Action. Hi, y'all. This is Jerry Williams, a.k.a. TV Jerry. The 14th season of RuPaul's Drag Race is now running on VH1 and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. What makes this season so unique is that it's the first time a cisgender straight male is one of the drag contestants. Today, I'm going to give you lots of opportunities for some foreign films. First, we're going to talk about a series of German films that are being hosted at a very unique Fotel downtown. And then the Israeli Film Festival. I'm chatting now with Katrina Nosek. Is that how I pronounce that? Is that correct? Nosek? Perfect. Yeah, that the U is actually unpronounced in that. Oh, so it's Nosek. Not no sex, but no sec. Uh, no sex. Yes, that was all manner of hilarity as I was a child. And, uh, you know, people would call the no sex house. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully you've grown out of that by now. So now we know how to pronounce your name correctly. Dr. Nosek is a professor at University of Richmond in German language literature. And even though this podcast is all about all things screen, including film, that's why she's here, because she's going to talk about the German cinema nights that she's set up. First of all, why don't you tell us what are you doing at University of Richmond? What does that exactly mean, German language literature? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question and kind of a combination of interests that you see sometimes divided in the film world. So film critic and film studies sort of developed in two different places. They're both influenced by national literatures and therefore sort of cultural studies and the cultural readings that we do in German studies departments. And they're also then coming out of conversations about production and what it takes to get a film together and all the production details involving the, the physical aspects of film and how viewers then finally receive this at the end. Well, what inspired you to say, I think I'll start a little German cinema night or a big cinema night? Well, certainly a personal love. Uh, you know, we hope it gets bigger and bigger, but part of the appeal of it actually is the sort of intimate size. We have basically a sort of Wohnzimmer Kino would be the German word for it. And that means a living room cinema. So there are some theaters in Berlin that'll be your, your street corner theater just in the neighborhood. And when you feel like seeing a film, you can go there, grab a beer and watch on sort of sofa-like chairs. They're still using a projection screen, but it has that kind of living room feel while still maintaining the aspects and the community viewing that's so crucial to cinematic experience. But you're not going to be doing it in living rooms. You're going to be doing it in a bigger space than that, right? We brought the living room to the event venue at the Crown Room downtown, and it's really been a pleasure. So it's a combination of screening a film, and then the last screenings have been silent films. So we've also incorporated some incredible soundscapes that are developed on the spot, spontaneously improvised by uh, Michael Powers, who's an electric acoustic mus musician that we've been working with. And looking forward, we're hoping also to incorporate him in some of the screenings to come. Footnote. In case you don't know, the Crown Hotel is downtown at 6th and Franklin in what is essentially the John Marshall Building. If you've driven downtown in the last few years, you probably noticed a billiard hall on that corner. But the space is now Hotel Green, which is a golf pun. A fotel with a 13-hole mini golf course they call Highfalutin Mini Golf. And an art installation in the style of the Grand Budapest Hotel. There's an events venue space with a screen and a built-in bar and seating, very sort of flexible seating for dinner and dining. And there's various musical groups that meet there. And then we have kind of combined the music and the film to result in a, it's a bone zimmer kino on steroids, I guess. So if you can imagine the idea and then kick it up a few notches, you'll have what we have, but still really invites the kind of casual conversation and discussions that just really feed both the soul and the intellect. So we get to kind of view the cinematic pleasures that uh, stem from German cinema. 
hear this amazing music by local musicians, and then also have the chance to actually talk about it. And that's where I come in to give kind of a contextual and historical understanding of it and think about what's applicable, what sort of messages and ideas and questions about how society works do these films open up for us today, even if they're coming from Weimar uh, Republic of 100 years ago. It's really been an exciting conversation that starts. It's interesting you mentioned that. I've been a film reviewer forever and I did get to watch the entire Berlin Alexanderplatz many years ago at VCU in an international film festival they were having. Footnote. Berlin Alexanderplatz was a German TV series set in 20s Berlin, directed by the great Rainer Werner Fassbinder. It was released in the U.S. in 1983 as a two- or three-part viewing event. That's what I saw. So have you had a chance to see all 12 hours? Can you boast that, Katrina? That is a badge of honor. I have not sat yet through the 12 hours. Um, I have read the novel, so I can boast reading the, the Dublin novel on which it is based. You know, it's kind of interesting because now nobody thinks twice about watching a Netflix series that's 8 or 10 hours. And people binge all the time on Netflix, but probably not 8 to 12 hours at one sitting. At least hopefully not. And the same thing is true with subtitles. Obviously, German films will be subtitled. And people have gotten more used to reading subtitles now because of Netflix and the popularity of other foreign films. So we're recording this the day after you had a showing of The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Ooh. It was fabulous. Yeah, so the series kicked off with Metropolis. And this was a step back in time to show people some of the lesser known classics. Caligari is, of course, a, an artist and a critic's favorite. And we did have part of the crowd who came having already seen it. Footnote. The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which is a variation of the vampire myth, and Metropolis, a sci-fi story of a futuristic urban dystopia, are both silent classics of German Expressionism. For others for whom it's new, um, they've often heard of Fritz Lang, but they haven't heard as much about Robert Wiener, who really sort of set the ground, both for German Expressionism as it would really hit the world stage. His, his film was a moment that kind of marks this emergence of German Expressionism into popular culture and mass culture through the, through the film Caligari, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. How was the crowd and what was the feedback like? Really exciting, I have to say. The um, film is a silent film, as I'm sure you know. And uh -huh. so this is actually really helpful for international audiences because what's usually done, instead of subtitles, as we have in a lot of our films today, or instead of dubbing, which is a practice that actually most countries... Horrible. Sucks, <laughs> generally, but go ahead. Yeah, exactly. Hundred <laughs> <100%. laughs> percent. I'd rather read the subtitles any day than listen to bad acting. But go ahead. But back in the days of silent films, of course, dialogue was never competing with sound, and so they were very easily internationalized, and they were circulated internationally by just exchanging languages. So the inner titles that divide up the sequences in the film were just switched out. Footnote: If you've seen silent films, every once in a while they'll have text on screen to explain dialogue or emotions or plot points. These are called inner titles. Did you have a musician there to accompany last night? Michael Powers has put together an incredible improvised soundtrack. He prepares in advance and watches the film and plans out a bit and gets a sort of a roadmap, what's kind of soundscape he'll build. And then he's there watching along with us and really reacting with a keyboard that he then records and loops in certain ways and builds out throughout the film to really give it an incredible and, and extremely unique atmosphere. So what's coming up in the next few months? So in February, we'll be looking at The Blue Angel. This is a 1930s classic and the first talkie in Germany. Malena, yes. Malena Dietrich, yeah. Thank you. 
The same year, she and the director, Josef Starnberg, leave uh, the, the German film world in 1930 and start to join the star system in Hollywood. You know, I've been into movies since I was in high school, and I've seen a lot of these movies in film history classes and such like that. But it is kind of exciting for people who have maybe never seen some of these old classics, like Blue Angels. Some people may not even know who Marlene Dietrich is. So it's kind of an exciting opportunity for people. So what got you interested in German literature and even German cinema? It is part of my family heritage, my background, Nosek, the name, despite its crazy uh, phonemes, <laughs> jokes behind it does derive from the borderlands between present-day Germany and present-day Czechia. So tapping into the German language gave me just greater awareness of my own heritage and where I was coming from. So what got you to pivot into cinema? Cinema was really the visual language. So the ability for metaphors, which are so crucial for how we understand and, and kind of in our mind's eye, make language. And so really kind of focusing on metaphors and language was then in some ways a natural connection to the intersections of image, image and, and text, and the ways that visual texts can do things that linguistic texts cannot. So how often do you get to go to Germany, Katrina? As often as I can. Germany and Austria. Berlin is, of course, an amazing cultural center in so many ways. And much of my graduate work involved right. years in residence there and summers in residence. My husband and I went to Berlin about eight years ago. And the first night we went there, I'm a vegetarian. So we went to this famous restaurant called Cookies Cream. Do you know that? Fantastic restaurant. Really fantastic restaurant. It's kind of cool because you, if you go on the website, you can see that they actually have to show you directions on how to get there because it's in between two buildings, down an alley, there's a dumpster. And if you didn't know the right door, you would never be able to find the place. Delicious, amazing, sort of high cuisine, vegetarian food. And, you know, that's one of those little known secrets I'm so glad you're aware of, Jerry, because Berlin really does have so much food. It's not just your sausages and pretzels, which are available, but certainly a vegetarian nightmare, I might just add. Exactly. So I also heard that when you were in undergrad, there was a very famous person who is creating a very famous app at your college. Yes. Yeah, so I was at Harvard when um, Facebook was developed and piloted for the first time. It's actually based on a physical what was called a Facebook, the Facebook. And it was a physical copy of all the incoming students in a year. And so it had various pictures. At first, it was just popularity. And I can't say that I engaged with it too much. But then actually thinking internationally, it became a really good way when I came back from study abroad to connect with people once it spread beyond the Ivies to all universities. So were you in the Facebook before it became a big deal? I heard about it, but I had a strong reaction to it because it really did seem just something like a, a way to demonstrate publicly how many friends you had. And I couldn't jump on that bandwagon. So uh, what did you think of the movie, The Social Network? What did you think of that? You know, I mean, I think it's important work to do. I think for me, the funniest thing is just like, that's one of the main events that maybe made me feel like I was getting old or at least kind of realize the ways that we are responsible for building the world that we live in. And it really is kind of us moving and driving culture and, and coming to ourselves. And that's part of what leads me to be a, a teacher, not specifically film, but I think the role of imagination in film has made me want to use that medium with my students to inspire them to think about social questions and dream. So what is your favorite film? And I know that's an impossible question. If you ask me, I couldn't begin to tell you one or two. Is there something uh, right now or recently that you think is kind of cool or interesting or is one of your favorites? There are some wonderful ones. So I do, I will always, I think, have a soft space in my heart for him Uber Berlin, the Wim Wenders, Wings of Desire, you know, taking up divided Germany as a sort of a poetic mediation from angels and an angelic camera that doesn't have to observe the boundaries that politics and nation's draw that remains one of the films that's left a strong impression on me in part because it is so poetic more recently 
I, of course, love the Netflix series Dark that asks incredible questions and is a, a fun sort of German language series that connects. I couldn't get through the first season of that one. Sorry. Really? What, what was your reaction to it? Well, you know, one of my biggest complaints is it's too slow and it just seemed to take too long to get going. And, you know, uh, one of the problems with streaming services, you probably have this happen too. you start watching a series and then something else comes along and then you just forget about the other series and never finish it. That was one of those that I just never kind of got back to. So I know for many years there's been an international film series at University of Richmond. I think it was like Thursday nights and Sunday matinees. Is that one still happening? And if so, how is this one different from that one? Or how do you work together? On campus, uh, we have a sort of a more widely ranging series, international film more generally. So film of all languages. And we try to spread as much coverage as possible just to make sure all kind of contemporary and, and older cinema too. The Some flicks are from the last several years. And then we have screened some favorites like The Blue Angel. Here's a question for you. Your favorite German comedy? Because, you know, Germans are not known for their sense of humor. But there are a few out there. There are some fabulous ones. Um, Tony Ebbon would actually be the answer I would use for that question as well. So a fabulous and, and funny film. Footnote. That's Tony Erdman. And I'll take Katrina's advice and review it tomorrow on Sifter. But I can already tell you, I think her take on German comic sensibilities is a lot more dry than mine. So I've been chatting with Katrina Nusak, who is a German language literature professor at University of Richmond. And she's the creator of German Cinema Night. Thank you so much for this. Any final words you want to say in English or in German? <laughs> Es hat mir sehr gut gefallen, mit Ihnen sprechen zu dürfen. It was really sort of a pleasure, uh, viel Vergnügen, have I, uh, I was able to have with our conversation. It was really just a pleasure to see your interest and to see the interest more widely in German cinema that we've seen. It leads to incredible conversations at the conclusions of the screening. There's always a chance to add questions and your interpretation. And it's been incredibly exciting for me to hear from the crowd on that level. So I do hope that we see some new faces as the series continues. And of course, we're always taking suggestions. So don't hesitate to name your favorites and we'll see what we can do. Danke, one of my few German words. <laughs> Bitte. The next film in the series is The Blue Angel on February 3rd. Then on March 17th, the Vim Vendors film Wings of Desire, or Vings of Desire, which Christina mentioned as one of her all-time favorites. For more information about the series, check out the Hotel Green website. There is a link on Sifter on the page for this podcast. Now we're headed to Israel. Well, not actually, but that's where the films in the Israeli Film Festival mostly come from. And we're going to connect with Leslie McGuigan to hear about it. Leslie, you have a very nice office there at the JCC. <laughs> well, thank you. It, it makes me feel like I'm at home. <laughs> well, yeah, well, actually, the, telling the truth, come on, come clean, Leslie. You are at home, right? I am at home. Leslie is the Director of Cultural Arts and Community Engagement. Boy, that's a big title to fit on a business card <laughs> at the Weinstein Jewish Community Center. You know, I was actually just at the JCC yesterday having my daily swim. And I still nice. haven't seen you yet, so I'll be looking for you one of these days. Come find me. I'm usually there. So first of all, tell me, Leslie, how did that start? Our JCC, the Weinstein JCC, is you know, part of a bigger network of Jewish community centers across the nation and the world. Right. And about 12 years ago, the Israeli film industry was in its infancy, I guess you could say. And there was a need to support 
the filmmakers and that film industry in general. And so the Weinstein JCC, as well as many JCCs across the country, chose to begin to promote them and to bring them to the United States and let people see them. Uh, many of the films have actually been nominees for the Academy Awards. How did it start and how is it now? I mean, you have like one movie to start with and now you have, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven movies. Start off smaller and just sort of introduce the community to it. And we've just had such great support from the community. They're very interested. Um, as we all know that Richmond is an arts environment and um, a lot of the arts venues have grown over the same period of time, including the JCC arts program. So yeah, this year we have seven and we partner often with other organizations, both Jewish agencies and non-Jewish agencies. And that has been a way that we have been able to offer more films. So these films, I assume they're mostly from Israel. Are they in English? They're in Hebrew or a mix of the two? Some of them are in English. Some of them are in Hebrew with English subtitles. We didn't have as many films to choose from due to COVID and, and Israel, so many things. It was locked down for a long time. Right. So we chose about four films that are Israeli. And then we've expanded the festival to include other films that are of Jewish themes or by Jewish filmmakers. So this year's film festival is not just Israeli, but it's mostly, I would say, an international Jewish film festival. Now, I know some of the films are going to be in person and some are going to be virtual. We just made the decision two days ago to cancel our in-person events. Oh, um, the good bad. news is that every single film was available to be viewed virtually anyway. Leslie, how do you decide which films you're going to actually screen? We have a wonderful committee that has worked all year long. They screen multiple films. I can't even tell you how many films they watch. They rate them. They discuss them. They make decisions about films that they think not only the community would enjoy, but films that they think our community need to see. I do have a lot of gratitude for that Israeli Film Festival Committee for their hard work and, and for the results, um, which are going to be great. And I think everyone's really going to enjoy the festival. Yeah, and I can appreciate that because I actually have been on the grand jury committee for the Richmond International Film Festival every year. And we have to watch a whole bunch of films and sit down and debate it out. I can appreciate the work they go through on that. Just a quick rundown of the films. We won't get into any detail, but The New Jew, that looks like a comedy. There are four episodes. It's an Israeli TV series. We will be showing the first two episodes and it is a look at American Jews in contrast to Israeli Jews. Then there's Persian Lessons. The Weinstein JCC is actually partnering with the Virginia Holocaust Museum to show that in honor of International Holocaust Remembrance Day, which is on the 27th of January. It's um, a man who pretends that he knows Persian and basically by doing so, he survives the Holocaust. I see. Is that okay to say that or is that a, too much yes. of a spoiler? Okay, good. No, no, I think that's good. So the next film I'm seeing is called Kiss Me Kosher. And from the picture on the poster, it looks like there's some lesbians involved. Yes. Kiss Me Kosher is a comedy. It's a love story of two Israeli women. It's really what happens with lovers who don't fit but belong together. Okay. And then Tiger Within, I'm assuming that's no relation to Tiger King. <laughs> no. Um, and actually we chose Tiger Within because it stars Emmy award-winning actor Ed Asner, who uh -huh. passed away 
um, just this past year. And so he plays a Holocaust survivor. It is a film that we chose as a tribute to Ed Asner. Oh, that's wonderful. And Greener Pastures looks like it's out in the country. Greener Pastures is a comedy. It's an Israeli comedy. And it's about an old man who's been admitted to a nursing home against his will. I I won't give away the whole thing, but it does um, involve marijuana. (laughs) Oh, great. We boomers love our legal weed. The next one is 200 meters. I believe what 200 meters is the distance between a Palestinian father. He's on the other side of a separation wall from his family. And then the last one on here is called Upheaval, The Journey of Menachem Begin. And I don't want you to tell me about that one because we have a special guest from the movie to talk about that. I do want to say that Upheaval is a film that we are presenting in partnership with the Jewish Community Federation of Richmond. We've been talking with Leslie McWiggin, who's the Director of Cultural Arts and Community Engagement at the Weinstein JCC. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing some of those movies. Thank you for having me. So now we're going to jump away from Leslie to talk about the final film in the series, Upheaval, The Journey of Menachem Begin. And I'm thrilled to be joined with Jonathan Gruber from Black Eye Productions. Jonathan, welcome. Thank you, Jerry. Appreciate uh, you having me on. First, I would assume that most people who are my age know who Menachem Begin is. But for somebody younger out there who may not, why don't you first tell us who he was? Sure. Menachem Begin was Israel's sixth prime minister. He served from 1977 to 1983. He was really one of the people most involved in the formation of the state back in the 1940s. Israel was primarily run by uh, sort of labor socialists. He was a what they called a revisionist Zionist. So now the title, Upheaval, is that because he kind of did come in and upheave everything in the government when he did finally take office? It was it was a huge revolution. The word itself, upheaval, is a translation from the Hebrew word mahapach, and that's what the night of that election, uh, of his being elected in 1977, that's what the, the newscaster said, said, yesh mahapach, you know, there is an upheaval. But his life was upheaval, starting from growing up in Poland, and what is now Belarus, in the town of Brest with anti-Semitism, to running from the Nazis, to being in the Soviet gulag to fighting the British in the pre-state of what was then Palestine. His whole life was... um, One big upheaval. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and a lot of upheaval, for sure. So why did you want to make this? What inspired you to say, I'm going to make a documentary about this guy? Well, I was fortunate to have uh, our executive producer, Rob Schwartz, come to me and ask me if I would take on this story. I had done a previous project about the famous raid on Entebbe and the military commander, Yoni Netanyahu, the older brother of the previous prime minister to to Israel today, Bibi Netanyahu, he had seen that film and he felt that I had the sensibility to tell a complicated story about a complicated man. It is complicated. And you know, it's interesting. There's so much archival material. Luckily, you have lots of movies and video and stills and stuff. How long was your process and how hard was it to get all that? Basically an hour and a half worth of footage and pictures. Well, we had an amazing uh, research team, both in the United States and in Israel. In the U.S., there's a, a place uh, in Tennessee at Vanderbilt University that has all these uh, news archives going back to the 70s, and we were able to find a lot of stuff there. One of our producers, Rachel Greenberg, went to the Carter Center uh, Library in Atlanta, went to the Reagan Library in California. So in terms of the time frame, I was brought on the project in April of 2019, We essentially had most of the cut and the production done 
just before COVID hit. That's convenient. Yeah, we were very lucky. And we're editing until, I guess, about October of 2020. It's been running its course at film festivals, and then we hope in the spring it'll start running on public television in the cut-down version of it. Uh huh. So what was the biggest challenge in putting this together? One of the big challenges was being, as I say, ruthless, you know, how to cut it down. Oh, I know that feeling. Yeah, with my documentary, I had a solid, great two-hour show, and I'm like, nobody's going to watch a two-hour about Dirt Woman. So I had to painfully cut those 30 minutes, so I feel your pain. I say it's fortunate. I think I'd rather have the longer version to cut down than not enough. And I was fortunate that the rough cut came in at around around 90 or around an hour 40. So we didn't have that much to cut. The harder cut was getting it from the 87 minute feature length down to the 56 minute version for public televisions. You mentioned television. There's some other interesting projects on your resume. So I was the co-creator and the executive producer of an MSNBC three-part series called The Story of Cool. People might have seen a film over the course of the years that I did called uh, Life is a Banquet, which is about Rosalind Russell, the famous actress. Wow, I never saw I never even heard of that. I'll have to, where's that playing now? You can probably find most of these things on Amazon. We have Kathleen Turner, who did the narration for it. Both of those women have some great, rich voices. There was a real connection because they were both stage and screen stars, but they also both have rheumatoid arthritis. When I say had, Rosalind Russell had, she passed away. Kathleen Turner's still alive. So there was a real uh, connection there. Great, great. So I've been talking with Jonathan Gruber, who is the director, producer, and writer of Upheaval, The Journey of Menachem Begin. Jerry, thank you so much. The Israeli Film Festival runs January 20th through 30th, and you can get all the information at weinsteinjcc.org. There'll also be a link on Sifter. Coming soon. In theaters this weekend, Redeeming Love, which is based on the bestseller about a woman who was sold into prostitution as a child in 1850s California. The King's Daughter with Pierce Brosnan as King Louis XIV, who encounters a long-hidden daughter and a mermaid. The Tiger Rising, an inspirational family drama about a boy who discovers a caged tiger near his home. Casablanca 80th Anniversary on January 23rd and 26th, hosted by TCM. In TV and streaming, we're all looking forward to the final season of Ozark, which drops on Netflix on the 21st. The Gilded Age, which drops on HBO and HBO Max on the 24th. This is Julian Fellows, best known for Downton Abbey, taking on 1880s New York City. As we see it on January 21st on Amazon, this is a coming-of-age drama revolving around young people on the autism spectrum, played by actors also on the spectrum. The Sifter Podcast is published every Wednesday, featuring interviews, news, and reviews of film, TV, and streaming. You can listen or sign up for subscriptions at tvjerry.com. And if you have suggestions for shows or would like to be a guest reviewer, there's contact information there, too. Thanks for listening. See you next time. For more Sifter, including literally thousands Thousands of reviews, reviews, visit tvjerry.com. That's a wrap.